On today's show, we have an eight-year-old starting pitcher, two knuckleheads from Boston, the Orioles unintentionally tanking, Smoltz sounds off, and bat flip celebrations. Baseball fans, what is going on? This is Brian Brammer, your host, and welcome to episode 11 of the Ball Mid Podcast. And I'm just now realizing that last week was episode 10 and I didn't make a big deal out of it. No no grand hoo-ha or party or fireworks or anything like that. So, you know, for a small channel like mine, you, you kind of have to celebrate every 10, maybe every five. So maybe on number 15, we'll give something away. Maybe an autographed picture of of myself with headphones behind a microphone. It can happen. Okay. Um, want to talk about currently the baseball race. Let's get some things, do some house cleaning. Uh, we have about maybe a week and a half left in Major League Baseball. So about 10, 11 games. Uh, some have 10, some have 11. And what we're looking at now is Boston uh, has clinched a playoff spot. They still haven't clinched the division. I think they'll do that in the next couple days, honestly. I mean, they're going to. They're about nine and a half games up with about 10 or 11 remaining. So they're going to do that. Uh, Houston, actually, they have not wrapped up um, any anything. Not the wild card or the division. So it's it's still a hot and contested there. I think Oakland's on their, on their, on their tails. And then, obviously, the Cleveland Indians uh, have you know, not only won the division, but well, they've clinched a playoff spot and won the division uh, easily. I think 14 and a half games up. Uh, so you have that right there. And then the wild card is the Yankees in Oakland with Tampa about five and a half games back. I don't think that's going to happen. Seattle's kind of uh, removed themselves from that discussion. So AL is, is kind of wrapped up. I think we have an idea of what five teams will be playing in the playoffs. It's kind of hard to talk about the wild card uh, game being a playoff game. It's, it's, um, it seems like a play-in game to me, but they call it the first round of the playoffs, uh, just like March Madness, how those play-in games for the, was it the 212 season, the 216 teams is actually, they're trying to call that round one. That's so stupid. It's just marketing. It's just money um, as as such. And money controls, controls the sport, all sports, but you know, it is what it is. And then we've got in the National League here, we have, you know, I think neither one of the division leaders have actually wrapped up anything. Like nothing is secure. Uh, the Cubs are, let me see here. Let me let me click back to the regular season. Uh, they actually, let's see, Atlanta is up five and a half games from Philly, which I think they'll end up clinching. Chicago, Milwaukee, that's still anybody's. And then LA and Colorado, that's still anybody's. And then, of course, the wild cards will play out from, from there. So I'm watching the National League. It's exciting. I, I remember doing this a lot uh, when the Orioles were decent when I was growing up. And, I, and when I say decent, like two years with Roberto Alomar, Eric Davis. Um, I think we had Bobby Bonilla for a little bit. Cal Ripken, uh, Mike Mussina, 
Scotty Erickson, uh, David Wells, uh, Armando Benitez as our closer, our big bruiser, Brady Anderson, Rafael Palmer. We had we had a, a good group. And so what I would do is during the playoffs or maybe the last month of the season, be in between innings, I'd go outside in the, the front yard and I'd act like I'd get either my wooden baseball bat or the wiffle ball bat. And I'd act like I was, you know, winning the championship or hitting a grand slam, you know, with the traditional three, two count bases loaded, two men out. Uh, obviously the guy that's batting cleanup happens to, to come up kind of like, you know, um, Casey up to bat that awesome poem. And the, the weather was just brisk and it reminded me of playing baseball when I was growing up. So I lived in a cul-de-sac at the top of the cul-de-sac and it was called St. Paul Street. And we had lower and upper St. Paul Street uh, baseball games. We usually used a tennis ball in my backyard. I think I put a picture on Instagram of how my dad designed the, the backyard today for my nephews. So when they visit and come into town, they can, they can play. Uh, so he's taking down a couple trees, but you know, home run was the cornfield, or uh, for that was down left field line. It was over the shed, uh, dead center, and then the right field line was a lot, a lot further, like over the bushes of the neighbors, because that's just how it was. Those were automatic, and so you know, lower St. Paul Street, we always won, and upper St. Paul Street because there wasn't enough kids. We would we would use some of the guys from uh, Fairmount. That was another road. Avenue, Fairmount Street Road. I'm not sure what it was, but it's called Fairmount. And there was this one guy who's about four years older than me. His name was Jeremy. I haven't had good luck with guys named Jeremy, uh, whether it's in college or when I was a child or since then. It's just, I don't like guys with with that name. Uh, if your name's Jeremy, I apologize. I understand if you unsubscribe. But anyway, he, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the fact that I was this younger kid and I was better than he was, or I always got him out, or or the fact that, you know, he had to play with me and maybe he was too prideful and was like, who's this kid playing? I'm like, well, um, it is my house. My mom is making cherry lemonade for you. I don't think it was cherry. I think it was just regular pink lemonade. Uh, we are giving you little Debbie hostess cakes. You know, we're we're providing all the concessions for you. And you're going to be upset because I'm playing and I'm hitting your fastball. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of the the excitement that I get when we're talking about playoff baseball. And then we played baseball in the summer and it was leading up to uh, me playing outside to take a break from watching the Orioles, whether it was a doubleheader or a singleheader. There's no such thing as a singleheader. It's just, <laughs> just a single game. I'm um, just excited about this time of the year. And I wanted to talk about you know, the playoff race. And, and, and my prediction, I really think uh, Boston obviously is in, in the uh, playoffs. Cleveland's in the playoffs. I think Houston is going to end up winning the division, and then New York is going to beat Oakland for the wild card, unfortunately, in my opinion. And then uh, the National League, I really think, I really think uh, Milwaukee is going to overtake the Cubs. I think uh, the Dodgers will end up taking Colorado. Uh, Atlanta, I think, is going to win that division. And then the wild card uh, matchup is going to be, I think it's going to be Colorado. Uh, and probably Chicago. That's that's my prediction, and we'll see if that comes true. Not next podcast, but the one after that. Okay, so that's that's my prediction. Uh, that's a little bit of my childhood. Uh, and, and like I said, Lower St. Paul Street, we always won. And so now I want to get into some of our hardball headlines. Now this is this is a sweet story. A year ago, the world met. Haley Dawson. This is coming from a report from Yahoo.com. She's a young girl who has a 3D printed right hand. 
Now, Haley, she loves baseball. Uh, back back then, uh, when she had first gotten the 3D printed hand, she said her goal was to throw out a first pitch with her 3D printed hand at every major league ballpark. This was her goal. And lo and behold, just over 12 months later, this past Sunday, she she pitched the first pitch at her 30th ballpark um, of this journey to 30. Uh, so she did it. She accomplished her goal. And it's awesome if you go back and see all of the the videos on Twitter of the different players from the different teams, you know, asking her to come and visit, asking her to uh, throw out the first pitch. And we, they're all kind of getting behind her uh, on this endeavor. Now, the reason she has a 3D printed hand is she has what's called Poland syndrome. And it's a disorder in which individuals are born with missing or underdeveloped muscles on just one side of the body. Oftentimes, this results in, you know, abnormalities, um, which is what Haley has. So she's, I think she has a couple of missing fingers, and it it usually does affect the chest, shoulder, arm, or hand uh, part of the body. And so what was was really cool, as I read further on, uh, what was really cool about Sunday's game um, in uh, Anaheim, or LA, Angels of Anaheim? The Angels, California Angels. I'm going to call them that because I love the movie, Angels in the Outfield. Anyway, the Angels Stadium. What was neat about that is she's out there throwing the first pitch, but but there with her was the left-handed pitcher, Jim Abbott, who spent 10 years as a major league pitcher uh, without a right hand. So he'd throw the ball uh, with his left hand and then throw the and have the glove on his right and then throw the glove back on his left field if he had to, swapped it again and threw somebody out. It was, it was really neat to see. And so this is what he has to say about this whole journey to 30. He says, it's tremendous what she's done to create awareness for kids with limbs, uh, difference, and the possibilities of using a prosthetic. You can do anything you want to. I love her message. I love her spirit and her energy, and we're happy to be a part of it. So uh, that's a really sweet story. You know, congratulations, Haley, on uh, making, uh, deciding on a goal and actually, you know, following through with it and all of the MLB for, for making that happen. That's, that's a sweet, that's a sweet story. Uh, okay, so something a little more uh, depressing than that. Uh, according to Stats by Stats on their Twitter page, the Baltimore Orioles have now completed a single-digit losing streak cycle. So that's at least one losing streak of exactly, you know, one game, two games, three games, four games, all the way up to nine. So it's it's a losing streak of each digit of the numerical system. So what this means is that 45 of their 108 losses have come in streaks, and a streak stops when the um, when they win a game, and another one continues when they lose again. So at the time of this final streak cycle, the Red Sox. So I think that was like August, the end of August. At the time, uh, at the end of this cycle, the Red Sox hadn't even lost 45 games now. So they're I think they've lost 49 up to this point, but at that time they hadn't even lost the amount of games that the Orioles have lost in this single-digit losing streak cycle. Now, the, the the neat thing, I guess you could say, is they have exactly 10 games left. Now, can we make a streak of 10 losses to close out the season 1 through 10? Honestly, in all seriousness, we can actually do this. Let's make history. I'm rooting, I'm rooting for you, O's. Wake up, Birdland. We are making history. And honestly, I'd be okay with this history. I'm at that point where it's like, hey... Um, it's some type of history. All right. John Smoltz, he tells USA Today when referring to modern day baseball, he says this, I know change is coming. It has to come. 
I just don't know when, but it better hurry. He wants to get rid of the shift because he thinks it is killing the game. I'm starting to disagree. One-dimensional hitters are killing the game. He also wants to cut back on the constant use of relievers and stop exploiting the DL. But most significantly, okay, I say significantly in the context of its importance to address, not that it needs to be implemented. He wants to adopt the split season schedule. Now, I didn't talk about this much last week when Harold Reynolds brought it up because I thought it was kind of ridiculous, and I, and I even said so. But it seems to be gaining some, some traction. So, here we are. This topic could be an entire episode, so, so I'm just going to mention uh, this one thing, okay? Here it is. The split season would make the whole season more interesting and important because the winner of a division for the first half would play the winner of the second half unless the same team wins both first half of the season and second half of the season, and then they'll get a bye. This is what this is what this idea is proposing. This keeps those teams, <clears throat> cough, cough, the Orioles, still relevant because they can revamp things midseason. Yep, and the funny thing is this is actually coming from a more traditional guy in John Smoltz. And of course, I'm sure Brian Kenny will ride this train all the way to Obnoxiousville. And finally, I have a, a clip I want you guys to listen to. Uh, and, and the context is this. Two Boston knuckleheads found something on the road, risked their lives to go out and retrieve it, and it was the banner that was printed for winning the AL East division. So so check this out. We want to give it back to them because it belongs to them, and it yeah. doesn't belong to us. Yep. But in, in reciprocation, we would like, you know, maybe to go yeah. to a nice playoff game. Or yes. We were looking for something. We just don't want to hand it over to them. Right. I mean, no, no. we need on. to negotiate here. We want yeah. to, we're looking for Listen, like, you know, we're working too. Yeah. I mean, my man had to run across three lanes of traffic. We know that that's the original one. We were told there was only one made. Yeah, we were told there was only one so band made. So at that point, that tells us. But then they told us they had a duplicate. So if they do try to put a duplicate up, you yep. best believe we're gonna show up and say we have the right one. That's not the yep. right. That's not the original. So we're hoping that they don't make one and they and they put the right one up. We're hoping they do the right thing. Yep. You know, we did the right thing. We could have kept it. We could have put it on eBay. We could have, you know, we got connections where we could have reached out to other sources. Okay, now, and when I first saw this, I really thought it was a parody. I really thought it was something from Saturday Night Live. These guys are as Boston as you get. Now, I've never been to Boston, but from my friends, so I helped run a over 30 wooden bat league in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And a lot of the guys that I knew, my first team, they were all from the New, the New England area. And even they, even they had some strong accents. And and they tell me of stories like this, and I didn't believe it until I heard it. And and, and, the, and I'm not sure that one of the guys' name is Louie. Yeah, so that's kind of, yeah, of course his name is Louie. And it's funny is they want to do the right thing and return this. And again, I just I just played you like a clip. It's actually like a two minute long video. And I think I played you like 40, 40 minutes. I'm sorry, um, 40 seconds. But they, they want to do the right thing and give it back, but they want something for it. I'm like, if you give something back to somebody and it belongs to them, you don't get to hold that thing ransom. That's called kidnapping. It's kind of a felony. I'm not saying what they're doing is, is a felony, but 
Um, a lot of people in the organization, Boston's organization, they don't believe that they found this. So they say found in quotes. They really think um, that they took it. I, I'm not going to say either way. It's very possible they found it. I don't know why you'd risk your life because they didn't know what it was when they went out to get it until they retrieved it. At least that's how the story goes. And it's funny how they keep talking. They actually said that they made a duplicate and that if they hang the duplicate, that they were actually, you best believe, <laughs> we're gonna sh- they're going to show up and say, hey, that's not the original. And, and the funny thing is he's using that term wrong. So an original is almost like the, the first run or uh, the first product of something that is now out of print. And the only way that you can get something, a replica, is if they duplicate the original. If they are printing, which they've done, they've printed... Uh, they, they already printed a second one, regardless if the guys gave it back. And they, they did end up giving it back, and the organization gave them nothing for them. Bravo, uh, Boston. But if it wanted to be... If that was an original, and, and the one that they were hanging was a duplicate, then that duplicate would have been a copy of the original. And it wasn't. They went to the same source, they went to the same company, and printed the same exact banner from the same printer uh, in the same week or you know year... And so what you have is two originals. You have a backup, but it's not a duplicate. Um, so pulling this whole originals thing, and I think Boston's like, I don't, we don't care. We're gonna hang a banner, you know. But but we want that back because we want you know that banner to only be at the at the park. And and so anyway, these guys are just, in my opinion, just a bunch of knuckleheads trying to exploit what they found. Uh, again, f- found as in quotes. And it's just, it's, it's funny. Um, the, the accents are hilarious. And I really thought this was a skit, but this is true. And I don't mean to make fun of people who live in that area. I don't because uh, I, I get made fun of for my Southern twang sometimes. I uh, even saying the word twang. I don't know if anybody says that anymore. You know, so it, it's okay to make fun of people and their accents and that type of thing. If it's something that it's just, they've just grown up with, you know, obviously if it's like a speech impediment or something like that, then you're a jerk if you make fun of someone that has that. Um, but, but this is, this is the stereo, this is the stereotype for Boston and it's, it's awesome. Um, so, you know, I say all that, uh, to, to mention Boston, I'm, I'm, I'm glad the Red Sox organization said, no, I'm not giving you anything for it. Please return it. And that's that. But these guys will forever be infamous for this whole story in the video that they did. All right. So that took a lot longer than usual, but that's okay because this is fun. It's fun for me. I hope you're having fun. So let's go ahead and take a break. Let's get into some uh, knuckleball trivia. All right. Now, last week's knuckleball trivia was different. It was a rebus. I got it from a website called Brangle, and I'm going to read it again and then give you the answer so you can feel foolish or stupid for not getting it. It's actually kind of clever. And then I have, the one I have for you this week is, is pretty short, and then we'll get into our main topic. So here it is. What saying, what popular saying is hidden in this rebus or this uh, set of uh, sentences? Playing at first base is Burt Kidney. Playing at second base is Ernie Liver. Playing at third base is Tom Stomach. Playing at shortstop is Jerry Pancreas. Playing behind home plate is Felix Hart. And on the mound is Oscar Lung. So the hidden phrase is, home is where the heart is. Okay, now, um, <laughs> I read that, I was like, man, that's too corny. I was like, perfect, let's use it. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Now, the one I have for you this week 
and I'll reveal the answer the same way I did um, this episode. I, th- I think that works better because sometimes I just I just straight up forget, and that's not fair to you guys. Is um, here we go. It's just a, a question. It's a short answer. No true or false. No multiple choice. And here it is. What are MLB umpires required by rule to wear during the game? What are MLB umpires required by rule officially? Like they could probably get fined for 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 not um, wearing this. Okay, so what are they required to wear by rule? That's our knuckleball trivia. Let's let's get into the main topic. It was Game Four of the 1987 World Series. The Cardinals were down two games to one. The game was tied at one apiece going into the bottom of the fourth. Now with two men on, Tom Lawless hit a three-run homer to give the Cardinals a 4-1 to lead that they would not surrender. Now that quote's taken by Viva Alberto's website for the Cardinals. Now, this dude wasn't really anything special. He only hit a handful of home runs. I actually think that that home run was only his second of his career. But this guy's bat flip in the 80s was legendary. It was Bautista-esque. Bautista-esque. He had the strut. So he he walked just about halfway to first base, watching the ball, and then flipped the bat high in the air as he started his trot. Now, I'm sure there's probably been other bat flips before this, but I don't have the time to to go into uh, that granular uh, detail. But what I'm getting at is this. The bat flip is not new. It's, it's It's not a recent trend. It may feel like it is, since there are so many different outlets in today's media that allow greater exposure. I mean, we all know about Joey Bats, a famous flip when he crushed a three-run shot to break the tie against Texas in the 2015 ALDS. It was all everyone could talk about. Many loved it, many hated it, but you cannot deny it was one heck of a bat flip. But is there room for this type of celebration in baseball? Does a bat flip breach the unwritten rules of baseball? What is it about baseball that sets it apart from the other sports? Well, first, I want to talk about when a bat flip or any celebration, really, is completely unwarranted. I think most of us will agree here. At least, I I think so. First, outlandish, over the top. And when I say over the top, I mean like over the moon, over the top. Those kind of bat flips are just stupid and silly. You can argue that it shows up the other team, but honestly, who cares? It's more concerning that it shows up your own team and reveals a lot about you, the individual, your narcissism, and and just you being silly. An example of this is Starlin Rodriguez of the Barry Baycats. Uh, The height and distance, I'm not sure if you guys saw this. It was on Twitter uh, maybe a, a week ago, perhaps, maybe two weeks ago. The height and distance of that bat flip, well... It was more of a bat throw. It wasn't a flip. It was a toss. It was, it was an actual track and field Olympic event. And then it doesn't start. He doesn't start to jog to first until the runner who was standing on first base reaches third. See, that's just stupid. And if you don't think that there's a problem with this type of exaggeration, then, well, we're probably not going to agree on much. This, this type of bat flip, this type of celebration, uh, it cannot be Defended. And, and then you have the oops type of bat flip. We all remember uh, Yashiel, uh, Yashiel Puig when he bat flip trotted a triple. 
So as he was running down, it was funny, as he was running down first baseline, he continuously picked up speed because he knew he had made a mistake. And you can and you can see it in his eyes. He's like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Just start sprinting. And, and he didn't even have to slide into third, even though I think he did. And then we have the most recent uh, issue or um, a case in Chicago Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras, his bat flip. And, and I put this in quotes when I say bat flip because it was more of just a tiny toss. We'll call it a TT, if you will. Uh, but that was really stupid. But actually, it barely made it to second. Uh, he actually barely made it to second for for a double. So so he hit the ball, thought it was gone, and then realized, oh wow, it's it's not. Uh, here's the thing, though. He was very remorseful for this celebration. He even said that what he did was not good for baseball, that it was bad, and he even apologized to the pitcher. But what Contreras was talking about when he says being bad. Uh, was watching a double, not necessarily the bat flip and not necessarily the the celebration. He just simply misjudged the contact of the bat to the ball. But what about the intentional bat flips to celebrate scoring runs, winning a game, or winning a battle against the pitcher? Here's my position. And it may surprise some of you guys since I consider myself somewhat of a purist. But my position is this. I have absolutely no problem with it. Now, of course, any over-the-top celebration is is never tolerated in any sport. So these examples are irrelevant to this discussion I just just talked about, but I did want to bring them up uh, as as context. So I'm also, I'm not talking about players like um, Adubal Herrera, who bat flips everything. And it's just part of what he does. Anything that he hits, he tosses it, he drops it, he flips it. And, And a lot of players just let go of the bat in that bat flip fashion. They don't even realize they do it. So again, I'm not talking about that either. So what I want to do is I want to look at this in three different segments, okay? First is why are players bat flipping? You know, what, what's the reason for it? I want to give some scenarios in which it's not unreasonable to bat flip or celebrate. And, and since bat flipping is celebrating, I might use those words interchangeably, so, so bear with me. Uh, next, number two, I want to look at the other sports and how they celebrate and why we don't criticize them, or maybe we should. And this, this will paint some context as well. And then third, how does this influence the unwritten rules and what should be done about them? Do, do we just need to loosen up? Do pitchers and catchers just need to stop crying? So, okay, let's, let's tackle this first segment. In an article written last summer on MLB.com, The Cut, they determined, or they mentioned, that there are three main reasons why bat flips are, you know, hashtag, uh, quote, good things. Number one, bat flips are a genuine and visceral expression of emotion on the part of the hitter. Number two, bat flips are aesthetically pleasing. Number three, bat flips are usually preceded by home runs. And baseball is the only sport where one can score a point or a run and give fans a souvenir at the same time. Again, home runs are good things. Now, the, the first, the first uh, point behind this or in this segment is I can I'm going to give you a little personal story. I can't, I, I absolutely cannot stand when players say this. I'm just passionate, man. Sorry, I thought I was allowed to express myself. Uh, and they say this in a very sarcastic tone. Let me give you some context, okay? So I, when I was in, in Raleigh, I helped run an over 30 wooden baseball uh, bat league. I, I did the finances. I played before I got injured. So then I decided to... Uh, managed one of the expansion teams. So we called them the Ghost Runners. And of course, we had orange and black, uh, as you could imagine. So I had this one player who was, uh, he was my best player. 
I would say. Uh, one of my best players. Uh, very versatile. And uh, he had he gotten down to count. He, he felt the umpire had uh, made a bad call. He kind of corrected his call in the middle of a bat, so it changed his approach. Uh, kind of gave him an extra strike when it should have been a ball. So he was frustrated at that. So then he hits the ball, and it, it's solid contact, but went right to the shortstop. He gets out, and as he's running through first base, he takes his helmet, slams on the ground, and, and just starts and, and just and swears. And I, I, you know, I get it. Baseball players, uh, athletes, you know, um, some people have no problem swearing, others do. It, it is what it is, and I'm not here to, to judge one way or the other. Um, but we play our games uh, in the town of Wake Forest. And so we play them in parks where there are other people around and families and kids. And so we've been warned of language outside the dugout or language that's just so loud for people to hear. And we get really good deals on these fields. So we don't want to damage that relationship. It's a good relationship that we have. And so I talked to him about it. I said, hey, man, I said, I'm not going to tolerate that. Um, so you can go ahead and have a, a seat on the bench. Now, some think I had kind of a, a quick trigger, but you know, as, as being handling the finances of the league, um, and, and the umpire also just telling me before that game that other fans are complaining again, it was, it was a serious thing. And my players know that they just, they shouldn't exhibit that type of language in, in a public park and that type of thing. I just figured that was common sense. So, um, I, I told him, man, I said, you were done. And, and as we're walking back to the dugout, uh, he just said, well, you know, I want my money back. And I was like, well, that's, that's not how that works. He said, either I get my money back or we're going to take a visit to the hospital. And I, I guess I'm taking that as a threat. Um, so I, we stopped about, you know, close to the dugout. And I just looked at him. I said, well, I guess we're going to go to the hospital. And then that's when he, he actually ended up pushing me or shoving me. Um, and then he talked to me later about it and, and said that same, that same quote. And I didn't like doing that. I mean, I hate, I felt terrible about doing that. Um, the guy kind of was a cancer to the team and I, I wish him the best of luck. He was, a, he was a good guy. You know, I had no problem with him, but he just really messed with, with the gel, um, of the team. If a team has gel, I, I said that wrong, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and like I said, it was one of my better players and he used that quote. I'm just passionate. I didn't know I couldn't express myself playing sports, you know, I, this and that. I'm like, you know, there's a huge difference between expressing your emotion and having self-control. You don't get to say, you don't get to lose your control and say, well, I'm just very expressive and passionate. No, that's a cop-out. Be a man, control your emotions. So what I mean by expression of emotion is, is part of the game. I'm obviously me. I obviously mean true expression, not a temper tantrum. Okay. But in the intense moments of a challenge or adversity and in clutch moments, the adrenaline is flowing. The heart is pounding and the excitement is rattling your bones. When a player crushes a home run and stares at his masterpiece after winning a battle and then jogs to first, good on him. No problem. Celebrate that personal victory and victory for your team. Express that emotion. I think that's good. Number two, the bat flips are aesthetically pleasing. And, and I think the players know that and the players know that the fans like that. So the, the flair and the style is just, it's just cool. It's just neat. Some are epic. Some are subtle, some are smooth like Ken Griffey, and some are even awkward. But there's just something satisfying in this type of celebration. It's almost like I just used this weapon, I knocked the ball out of the park, and I don't need any more because I'm the man. And it's not narcissistic, it's pride. And, and when you celebrate, celebrate with your team. You know, Look at your dugout and, and shout at them and yell at them and and celebrate when you come back to home plate. Like that is that is good. That is good for camaraderie. That is good for 
uh, your team. It helps you gel. See, uh, this time I'm using it appropriately. Helps the team gel together. And the crowd loves it too. Give the crowd a show. As long as it doesn't distract from your team and from winning. And then obviously every sport celebrates scoring. And since bat flips usually follow home runs, uh, usually, right, Puig, Contreras, um, it's perfectly fine. And and see, so what I'm getting at is, is, what I'm getting at is, and a bat is a battle. It's the hitter against the pitcher and the catcher. Batter against the battery. Two against one. You have the buzz of the crowd surrounding you, whether they're are whether they're cheering for the hitter or the pitcher. The teammates in the dugouts, um, on the bases, the opposing players in the outfield rooting against you and probably putting the shift on. There are so many strategies and obstacles on this battlefield. If the hitter crushes the ball over the fence, what else do you expect them to do? Tip his cap to the pitcher and then shake each player's hand as he runs the bases, saying, "Good game." Good game, guys. That was a great pitch. No way. You celebrate. You show emotion. And you can do this without showing up the other team. If the other team takes offense, who cares? This leads me to my second point. The other sports that celebrate the victory of scoring, and not even scoring, but just other other victories. So let's look at the NBA. All right. NBA players celebrate after a made three or dunking over a defender and even on a and one shots. I mean, have you guys not seen Steph Curry play? Just, just one game of basketball. He shoots his threes. He keeps the follow-through hand up way too long, turns his back to the basket before the ball even drops through, and then does his little shimmy with his mouth guard falling out. And nobody bats an eyelash at this celebration. And quite frankly, this is actually showboating. I would say that this goes well beyond celebrating, but no one seems to matter. Let's go to the NFL. Yes, they've revamped the celebration rule after a score, and it's, it's actually pretty inconsistent. You can't dunk the football over the goalpost, but you can lay down and act like you're taking a nap. Yeah, okay. Good job, Goodell. IQ is uh, shining through on that one. Uh, but you can celebrate with your teammates, which actually delays the game more, but, but whatever. You don't want delay of game, but you can wait for your teammates to come and celebrate with you, and that takes longer. Again, I, I don't get it. Uh, when sacking the quarterback. And by sacking, I mean laying the quarterback down, giving him his blanket, and tucking him in with a good night kiss. Yeah, I've got your back, Clay Matthews. Okay? <laughs> when, when they sack the quarterback, the players will dance. And when a first down is reached, usually on, on third down, players will point and drop the ball, imitating the referee's uh, signal for first down. Completely okay. Completely okay. The NHL. Celebrates after every goal. They don't do much else because their emotion is expressed through hard hitting and fighting. Um, and, and they're moving back and forth so much, they, they don't really have the time to do that. Uh, soccer takes about five minutes celebrating a goal because they are too busy trying to chase down their team out, teammates who are running around like they have a salami in their pants and it's bear season. Tennis has evolved re- uh, regarding celebrations in the past 10 years, maybe even 15 years literally shouting after a long volley or a comeback win after your opponent broke your last serve. Tennis hasn't always been this way. So it shows that increased expression in sports is creating much of a ruckus unless it's not creating a ruckus unless it's bat flips or ball steering in baseball. Why? And so finally, how do, how do emotions, victory, 
and the other sports in this industry influence the unwritten celebratory rules of baseball? And the answer is, it doesn't. And that's the problem. Bryce Harper's quote, make baseball fun again, when I first heard that, it kind of made me cringe. But I think that was more because of who said it rather than the actual implication of the words. I mean, I, I guarantee most people hated Bautista's flip because it was actually Joey Bats that flipped it and not the actual flipping gesture. Yes, each sport has their own context and how and when they can celebrate. I get that. Don't show up another player specifically or, or the other team in, intentionally. Don't make it personal and don't over-exaggerate. Those should be unwritten rules that go, guide all sports. But how the celebrations are expressed depends on the culture of that particular sport. I mean, look at look at some baseball pitchers. Severino, Stroman, Fernando Rodney. He still plays, right? Okay. Uh, Chapman, Verlander, and many others, they yell and pump their fist after a strikeout. Why do the pitchers get away with it, but a batter can watch his ball leave and, and, and flip a bat? Why, why can't the batter do that? See, here's, here's, the, here's the funny thing, or not funny thing, scary thing, is if a pitcher gets offended by his pitch being torched, he just throws the ball at the batter the next time he's up. We expect this. But what will a hitter do if the pitcher shows him up or celebrates after striking him out? Throw his helmet at him? No. It's, it's, it's a double standard. And quite frankly, it's stupid. I mean, if I was a hitter, and I don't know, I, I crushed the ball, I, I'd start sprinting, I'd sprint all the way around the bases so that my pitcher didn't get offended, so I didn't get beamed in the head the next time I came up. Because my health's a little more important to me than a career. But why do we why do we allow this? Like the unwritten rules in baseball, and and, and I'm, I might be surprising you a little bit here because I actually I actually like the traditional baseball. I think more of you know the not the unwritten rules, but the way the game is played on the diamond and the stats. I'm I'm pretty much a purist, but when it comes to updating the game to modern expression, I don't have a problem with it. And maybe I don't have a problem with it because I'm very expressatory. I made that word up. I'm, I like to express myself. When my dad and I have, um, when I'm talking about some struggles in my life and, and I set up this, this invisible person that I'm talking to, he's just like, Brian, chill out. Like, I'm not the enemy because I get caught up in it. Um, sorry about that, dad. But I'm, I'm expressive and, and I get that. So, so why can't we bring that into these sports? Why can't we bring it into baseball? I know we've got these these younger players, and we have a problem with you know some of their maturity. Um, is, you know, hey, if you're a rookie, you can't bat flip. You know, if if the guy pitching is an ace, you can't bat flip. Like all of these silly things, and this is what it comes down to: it's simple pride and ego. If you're that good of a pitcher, if you're that awesome, if you're if you're if you're ball throwing, I couldn't think of the word pitching. If your ball throwing skills are that impressive and you have that much of an ego, don't let anybody hit a home run off of you. But that's not going to happen. You have to understand that these, these hitters are just as good as the pitchers. And it's a battle. So, flip those bats, good men of hardball. Watch your full count home run ball travel over the fence to the cheers or the boos of the crowd and jog around the bases as you rest after six pitches and all your hard work in the batter's box. You've earned it. 
Welcome to Three Strikes, the part of the show where I scour baseball news and try to find some stories that I make fun of. Here we go. Strike one. Strasburg sets and sets and sets again. Here's the pitch. For the second time, his pitch hit the batter, catcher, and umpire. Good on you, man. Here's a roll of quarters. Strike two. This just in. A fan traded his chicken fingers to Blake Snell for an autographed baseball. You see, when I was growing up, we got to keep the toy and the food with our Happy Meal. I think a refund is in order. And strike three, the Orioles become the first professional team to wear Braille lettering on their jerseys. It's now official. No one wants to see the Orioles play. That's three strikes, and I'm out. See ya! Well, folks, that's a wrap. This has been a Ball and Mitt podcast production. Take a gander at our website and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Farewell, baseball fans.